Thank you for downloading the Grove City Vineyard Sermon Podcast. Enjoy today's message. God, we thank you for the, for the joy of being able to gather together. It is such a pleasure, such a gift to be able to join together in worship and in praise and in fellowship through car windows together. We worship you, God. Thank you for holding off the rain. Thank you for the, the myriad of ways that you met our needs this past week, that you comforted us when we were hurting, that you, that you gave us wisdom when we needed it. Thank you that your presence is always with us, ever near. Thank you that you are a God who is ever faithful and always, always working for our good. Would you use these tithes and offerings for your glory, for your kingdom? Would you help us to be a generous church? in this trying time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing this song uh, as we prepare for our kids' moment this morning, God's Not Dead. And, and maybe on your sheets you're noticing a theme. We sing This is Amazing Grace, where the king conquers the grave, mighty to save. Kind of that, that same lyric there. And God's not dead. He is surely alive. Kids, we're going to have some fun with this. Miss Heather's up here. Wear your red gloves. Those were great last week. All right, let's sing this together. Here we go. Let love explode. Morning. How are all my kiddos out there? You guys doing okay? Good job. All right. Well, guys, I have a question for you. Have you ever built a sandcastle? It makes me want to sing that that Olaf song. Do you want to build a snowman? Do you want to build a sandcastle? Well... Maybe you've built a sandcastle on the beach or maybe just in a sandbox. I am not a very good sandcastle builder, but I bet you guys could teach me a thing or two. I bet you guys are really good at it. Have you ever noticed that there's never been a sandcastle strong enough to withstand the waves when they come in? Because eventually the waves come in. It either rains on your sandcastle in your sandbox or you're at the beach and the waves move in. And they come in and the, and the sandcastle falls down. Well, Jesus told a story one day about two men. Each one built a house. One built his house on a rock and the other guy built his house on sand. And then a storm came. The wind was blowing really hard and the rain was pouring down. And it even says in the Bible that the streams rose, meaning that it flooded. Now, the man who built his house on the rock, his house was fine. But the other guy, the one who built his house on the sand, well, his house didn't do so well, guys. The Bible says that the house built on the sand fell with a great crash. So what is Jesus trying to tell us here? Guys, he's telling us that if we follow him, if we do what Jesus is telling us to do, like love one another, help others, obeying, being honest, doing our best, we're like the wise man. Who built his house on the rock? And then when the storms come in our life, kind of like what's going on now, not getting to see our friends, doing school at home, missing sports, canceled vacations, then our house will be strong. We will still follow Jesus because we know that he will take care of us. But kids, if we simply just continue to live our life doing things that are not right, If we don't follow Jesus, then our house is surely going to be like the man, the foolish man's, and it will fall when the storms come. 
Here's a simple breakdown, guys. If you want to be like the wise builder, then follow Jesus. I think that we could all agree that we want to be wise, right? This doesn't mean we're perfect. Absolutely not. Or that we don't make mistakes because we will. But when that happens, we ask for forgiveness and we try to do better. So I hope you guys will be wise builders with me. Have a good week. Amen. Amen. You guys are awesome. I mean, I was just listening to you toot instead of honk. Just one simple request so we can be good neighbors. God must have made this place, huh? You guys aren't normal, you know that? You're different. I praise God for you. A couple of shout-outs I feel like I want to give today. One to Bert Smith. I don't know if he's in this service or not, but it's his hay wagon we're standing on. It's been at my house for the last 15 years. I said, you want me to bring your hay wagon back? No. <laughs> also, I like, feel like I'd like to give a shout out to Adam and Amanda Gray, who, you know, they have just coordinated our Financial Peace University here for so many years, and Karen and I included, many of us have been through it, and what a different position we can find ourselves in in times of economic difficulty when we practice those kind of principles. So I just really feel like I want to give a shout out to them. Well, today as we move through our worship service together, you know, today is the first Sunday of May, which means it's Communion Sunday. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, many people over many centuries have been imprisoned for their faith. And yet believers, you know, behind bars for, for many centuries have figured out how to celebrate the Lord's Supper without elements. And we know that it's a big, huge part of the celebration of the Lord's Supper to have it. But when they were in situations where the bread and the wine were not available to them, they figured out ways to do it. Thomas Pettipus wrote an account of one of those prisoners where he quoted this. Today is Resurrection Sunday, my first Easter in prison. In here, it is much easier to understand how the men in the Bible felt stripping themselves of everything that was superfluous. Many of the prisoners have already heard that they have lost their home and everything they owned. Our families are broken up. Many of our children are wandering the streets, their father in one prison, their mother in another. And there is not a single cup but a score of Christian prisoners experienced the joy of celebrating communion without bread or wine. The communion of empty hands. We have no bread nor water to use instead of wine, I told them, but we will act as though we had. I held out my empty hand to the first person on my right and placed it over his open hand and the same with the others. Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Afterward, all of us raised our hands to our mouth, receiving the body of Christ in silence. Take drink. This is the blood of Christ, which was shed to seal the new covenant of God with men. Let us give thanks. Sure that Christ is here with us, strengthening us. Beloved, we are surely not in prison today, but we are meeting on a day that we would like to celebrate communion without the luxury of the elements. 
Could you release your faith with me? Could you just release your faith with me, Father, as we come before your table of grace to renew the covenant of forgiveness made for us through Jesus Christ and his broken body and his shed blood. We come for the power of communion. Not able to experience the flavor of it today, we come for the power of it. If you can, just stretch out your hand toward me. Jesus said, this is my body, broken for you, take and eat. the same way Jesus took the cup and he said this is the cup of the new covenant my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins as often as you drink of it this do in remembrance of me drink deep beloved drink deep beloved Praise God. Yeah. Praise God. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Sometimes we get in places in our life where we wonder what God's will is. Well, God just said in his word, in everything give thanks. Not for everything give thanks, but in everything give thanks. And I give thanks in the midst of this pandemic. Amen? Because for one thing, it's given us an opportunity It's given us several opportunities that I find fascinating and even helpful. I mean, an opportunity for us to consider what's truly important. I think that's happening in so many of our lives. We're really considering what's truly important. It's given us an opportunity to really uh, think about what we really need and uh, what we don't need. It's given us an opportunity to remember how to cook. Amen? And I think it's given us an opportunity to establish the rhythms of our walk with Christ in, in, in many of our lives, and not everybody, because some of you are just out there, probably maybe working more than ever, but in many of our lives, it's given us an opportunity to establish the rhythms of walking with Christ and understand the priority of that in our lives. I think it's given us an, under, an opportunity to really appreciate the body of Christ. I, I, just, I just long for you. I just walk in front of your cars, and it's just all I can do to keep from just hugging you. And the appreciation for the body of Christ and the freedom to be in our, in our sanctuary has just really increased. And so there are many opportunities that have come our way as a result of this, and, and, and for these we give thanks. I don't thank God for the coronavirus, but in everything give thanks. I give thanks that in the midst of it, all these things have, have seemed to have surfaced for us in positive ways. And today I'd really like to talk with you for a few minutes about the opportunity that this season has given us to really discover who's in charge. Who, who's in charge around here? Clearly one of our struggles in this pandemic, whether we're working or staying at home, is, is the struggle we have for control. It seems like other people are making decisions for us, and they're not really consulting us, and these decisions are being handed to us, and to be good citizens and to be wise people, we, we, we feel we want to follow them, but we also grieve maybe for a loss of control. It's, it's frustrating, but it presents an important opportunity. And 
that opportunity is explained to us in the book of James. So turn in your Bibles or dial up this passage, James chapter 4. James chapter 4, James 4, verses 13 through 15. It's going to talk to us about the struggle for control. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. Now, a little bit of context that James was written by James, I know, mind-blower. And this James happened to be the brother of Jesus. Well, I guess half-brother, right? Same mom, different dads. And, um, and this was written by him, and it's a very practical book. I want to encourage those of you who are newer to the Lord, uh, or, or perhaps not newer, but just never really felt like you're getting traction. Man, spend some time in the book of James. He's, he's going to ouch a little bit, but there's really good stuff in there, and it's very, very practical. Here in this passage, James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, he says something very practical. Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, here's the the big one. If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. So, as believers, we move forward saying, God's in control. I, I, I just completely surrender myself over to the Lord. God is in control. I am not in control. God is in control. And this is what James is saying is, of course, we're naturally inclined to make plans. And at the core level, there's, of course, nothing wrong with planning for the future. He's saying as long as the control of the future is always completely surrendered in practical acknowledgement that it's God who's in control. Because James is saying we're never really in control. And so this lack of control, we feel right now, simply exposes that. That we are never really in full control. But that God is always in full control. So when you ask the question, who's in charge here? You'd say, well, God is in charge here. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where things have been going wrong and, and you go, who's in charge here? <laughs> you know, looking for somebody to complain to or blame. Who's in charge here? And maybe you, maybe some core level you feel that way. Who's in charge here? Well, the Bible says God's in charge here. God is 100% in charge here. And um, we've exceeded now a million cases of COVID in the U.S. We have come to a place where more Americans have died of the COVID disease, the virus, in the last two months than died in two decades in the Vietnam War. So this is serious. And so we, we, we want to say, who's in charge here? Well, God's in charge here. Well, does that mean that God has sent this virus upon the earth, maybe to punish us? Well, I want to say this about that. I want to say, that if we believe that God has sent this virus to the earth to punish, to punish sin, then we are revealing that we do not believe in the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus Christ willingly, voluntarily died on the cross to bear the the sins of the world and and to receive the full punishment that was due humanity for sin. 
Now that is either true or it's not true. The Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. So that's either true or it's not true. It can't be partially true. We can't say that Jesus died for these sins up to this point, but then God is angry. It's like super angry so that that wasn't enough. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross was enough. It was enough for you. It was enough for me. It's enough for the world. And I think if we say that, that God is punishing, we, we, we've missed the power of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. You know, I don't think this is God's punishment. I don't think the HIV virus was, was God's punishment against homosexuality. I don't think that Hitler was God's punishment against the Jews. I don't believe that. Because Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. Now, there are some who believe that and who are being made into the righteousness of God. And there are some who do not believe that and are not. Now, so you might say, well, maybe God's punishing those who don't believe. And we're just kind of caught up as collateral damage. Well, the Bible says that for the unbelievers, God is storing up his wrath. God is not pouring out his wrath now. But, beloved, there'll come a day when the wrath of God will be poured out because his holiness will be satisfied. His holiness will be either satisfied by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and our faith in him, or it will be poured out on individuals who do not come to him. This is the teaching of the Bible. But I just want you to say, I just want you to know that I don't think it's right for us to think that this is some kind of, um, some kind of punishment on the world. If we buy into that lie, then I think we may be revealing a couple of things about ourselves. If we buy into that lie, then, then I think we may be believe, revealing that we really don't fully believe in the substitutionary atonement of Christ. And the other thing, I fear it means that we are showing that we are not bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And here's why. Because the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Now listen. Anytime I hear somebody say, I think this is God's judgment, I hear an air of gladness or vindication in that. If that's ever said, I think this is God's judgment, it should be said with tears. It should be said with tears. Beloved, I don't think God is sending this as a punishment. So what do we do? What do we do? It's here because we live in a fallen world. We live in the mix of the kingdom of light as we believe, as we gather together and worship his name, and the kingdom of God breaks out, and we live amidst that, and we live, we live in the kingdom of darkness. And we are still caught up in this battle. So what do we do? Well, first of all, we recognize that there's always a future with God. I said a couple of weeks ago, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You know, it's going to be better. We fight fire with fire. May I remind you, the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. And then third, we rest on the absolute authority of God. We just say, I, I don't need to be in charge. I wasn't in charge anyway. How about that? This just reveals that. So I just w willingly surrender any sense of control or disappointment over that over to the authority of God. Because our struggle really stems from the fall when God came and said to Adam and Eve, you may eat of anything in the garden except for this. And what did they say? You're not the boss of me. 
<laughs> How many of you said that when you were a kid? You're not the boss of me. Oh, yes, I am. <laughs> and it's, some, it's systemic, too, of the sin nature. And so part of the redemptive power of knowing Jesus as your Savior is to reestablish the authority of God in your life and begin to enjoy that. We're celebrating an important anniversary this week, and we're celebrating the anniversary. Whew, I hope I can get through this, Pam. Pam Morey, sitting right up here with her daughter Rachel, celebrates one year of victory over a liver transplant, right? Yeah. And talking with her this week and celebrating that one year, she just said, you know, I just got to the point where she, she said, I said, God, if you don't do something, I'm going to die. And I just gave up. I just gave up, like trying to make it happen, trying to, and then boom, she got the call. Surrender to the authority of God. I imagine many of you have stories that go along that line. I just got to the place where I just threw up my hands and said, God, you're in control. Please take control. So what I'm saying today is that if you're feeling frustrated with your lack of control, then the solution is to renew your surrender over to God. Whatever you may be frustrated about. Some of you may be going back to work this week, and there are going to be people telling you where to go. There are going to be people telling you where to sit, how to stand, what to wear, and it's, you're, going to feel, you're going to feel it. Would you just right now surrender over to God? Renew your sense of surrender. And, um, you know, there's something, I want to just close with this. There's something very liberating about surrendering control. <laughs> it really takes the pressure off. There's something very cool about just saying, oh, I'm not in charge. <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do. I'm not in charge. God's in charge. There's something very uh, powerful about giving God control that way. In the abiding words of the Pointer Sisters, it was, I'm about to lose control, and I think I like it. Uh-huh. Anybody? Anybody? Thank you. One. Thanks. I'm about to lose control, and I think I like it. I'm about to give control over to God and say, I'm not in charge here. You're in charge. I'm about to willfully surrender myself to God, and I think I like it. And because when you willfully surrender your sense of control over to the control of God, what you're doing is you're, you're being restored to your place in the created order. You see, this is how God commanded it. He said, I'm in charge. And, and in the garden, man said, oh, no, you're not. Well, through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, we are restored to our created place. And so as part of that, which is so many great things, fellowship with God, future with him, all of these things. But part of that is he takes control. Now, who do you want, who more do you want to be in control of your life than God himself? So, beloved, would you just take some time with me? We're going to sing through this song, I Surrender. And just bow your heart to the Lord. Just give your life to the Lord in such a way that renews that sense of surrender to the authority of God. Father, come. I pray the power of your Holy Spirit to fall on us now as we get ready to leave, that you would continue to protect us from this thing, Lord, that you would continue to hold us together in physical separation, that you would keep us as the one mystical body of Christ. We thank you, O oh Lord, for your love and grace and power. And I just pray for a release of your Holy Spirit in every seeking heart now. Heal the sick, O oh God. Provide for the hungry, O oh God. 
minister to those who are troubled, oh God. Come, Holy Spirit, bless these families. Bless these people in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to speak as you leave, and you can probably hear for a little ways down the road. Continue to receive this blessing. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. God bless you guys. Just go under that covering. God bless you guys. God bless you guys.